How'd that go? Beautiful. Yeah? It always feels good on my oh, own, man. man. It sounds, sounds very good to I me. I feel like Australia must have some evil internet infrastructure that makes me uh, perceive things as not being synchronized when in fact they are. It actually does though. Your internet sucks over there because of some weird conglomerate um, oligopoly in control or something. There's like a big thing about why Australia's internet is in very particularly shit. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like it relates to uh, the Murdoch Empire actually. Fucker. <laughs> so like when Kevin Rudd or maybe it was Julia Gillard were um still in office um they were talking about introducing nbn to australia and obviously refitting the national broadband infrastructure and um i think there was sort of contention over whether or not the network should use fiber to the premises or fiber to the door does that make sense yeah no i I don't know what that means but i can yeah you know (laughs) and (laughs) essentially the coalition government, or sorry, the coalition opposition at the time were like, nah, this shit's fucked. They won the election and they just tanked Labor's broadband plan and then rolled out a more expensive but shittier uh, network. And a lot of people conclude that that was so that they could keep um, appeasing their mate Rupert, Rupert Murdoch. Because obviously yeah. with like a waning traditional media business, you don't want more and more people relying on high-speed internet. and also, like, if you limit internet speed and connectivity, particularly in, like, the regional areas where the internet is still really bad, um, you can rely more on the, the Murdoch monopoly on media narratives to keep you in power, right? So it was, like, this uh, reciprocal sort of arrangement. So, yeah, that's why we have... That's why... Oh, okay. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. then. Um, I'm going to be a little sad when he eventually goes because he's the last true like evil billionaire that i can imagine that's a caricaturally yeah evil you're right like like nowadays we have like hidden billionaires and i don't really know what they're up to but i'm sure they're up to some shady shit um but like who the fuck knows whereas murdoch's just so blatant like love him or hate him you have to hand to the fact that he is a character and one played well yeah and in this divine tragedy that we exist in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Love him or hate him, like, the man has balls. Yeah. And he is completely unashamed to just wear his lack of dignity on his sleeve and, you know, strut through town with his wrinkly old cock out and not really give a fuck about what's happening. Just slap fucking immigrants in the face. Yeah. yeah. Did you see him on The Simpsons? No, I didn't, actually. That's hilarious. Oh, uh, he was on The Simpsons and he was like, Came at, like he was playing himself, and he opens with like, "I'm Rupert Murdoch, the tyrant billionaire." Wow, you know? that's good. So he's like, so, like he yeah, knows exactly so who he is, man. Um, oh yeah. Totally. Did you hear that his like second eldest son uh, withdrew from the News Corp board? No. Yeah. So what's that? Um, because of editorial disagreements. So he's always had. Oh, over climate change. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, primarily. Yeah. So he's always had like this kind of rift in his family where like his 
second son who's not the direct heir to the empire but has always been on the board and whatever else he's like the woke estranged child like <laughs> you know what i mean like the sensitive <laughs> the one black sheep yeah um yeah, yeah, yeah and he finally was just like fuck it see you later not having anything to do with it which is pretty cool um i'm glad that yeah i wonder what he's gonna do now what would you do would you go bartend and like uh, uh tibet he'll or, probably just move to macau like... and gamble oh okay oh so does he actually have money or does he uh, i mean yeah surely i don't yeah. know after oh, 40 okay. years of being Rupert Murdoch's son, you'd hope to have some money. Oh, he's old. Why would I think... Sorry, I was getting this image of my mind of like a young Rupert Murdoch um, right. clone, like <laughs> absconding and living a peaceful life and changing his name. And, yeah, no, uh, he's um a well-established yeah. individual. I mean, I'm sure he's got other business interests and no uh, limit to the options of what he could do with himself. I just yeah. hope it's something ethical to offset the fuckery of his father and his older brother. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, can't rely on that, I guess. Just not participating is probably mm. enough, you know. Do you um, think that oh, well. Rupert Murdoch uh, made some sort of Faustian bargain? Um, is it, nah, he's, like, more likely to be, like, the devil. The devil himself. Uh, in that entire thing. Like, people make deals with Rupert Murdoch. I don't yeah, feel like Rupert Murdoch true. would make deals. He's a Mestopheles. Like, Mestopheles, yeah. yeah. So Jeffrey Epstein definitely made a deal with the devil. That's just not even up for debate, you know. And he's like, he's paid the ultimate crime. Uh, sorry, paid the ultimate price for his actions. And now he's like dragged, kicking and screaming down to the depths of hell. And I feel like Harvey Weinstein did as well. But I just can't imagine, like, what are you going to fucking give Rupert Murdoch? You know, like he's, he just... He's just too much of a villain, man. <laughs> yeah, that's true, right? He's not motivated by, like, like sex or anything like that. I can't imagine him being motivated to, like, stick his dick into things, you know? He's got a, a, a more divine, not, like, a more evil cause behind him that's pushing him forward. Yeah, like the pursuit of pure rationalism, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um. yeah. There's something else there. You know, whereas like Harvey Weinstein was a slave to his dick and so was Jeffrey Epstein mm. and riches and all that nonsense. Yeah. I've been waiting to crack this. I'm going to crack a Coke. So just enjoy this ASMR. Oh, Ooh. that decarbonization. Yeah, it's good, yeah. right? Good, good slurp <laughs> technique as well there, man. Oh, thanks. Right. I've been practicing that. I wonder, has there ever been like a tell-all interview with Murdoch? Um, he's done, uh, surely done a few. I don't think he's a very, like, flamboyant billionaire. No, though, he's right? not, right. Like, yeah, and that's that's more what I mean when it comes to, like, deals with the devil you exchange for something, whereas, like, Murdoch doesn't seem like he would sell his soul. Like, I don't think he had one to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I just remembered, I saw this mentioned on Reddit recently. I'm going to send you a link right now. There's um a BB... Yeah. BBC docu-series called The Rise of the Murdoch Dynasty, um, which yeah. I've heard is good. So I might actually check that out. Yeah. Murdoch reigns in hell, man. Yeah, yeah 100%. He doesn't serve in hell. Yeah. Dude is and he doesn't want to go to hell. fucking sack of shit. Yeah, he's, he's more comfortable in the filth um, and yeah. the fucking fire. Yeah, with his little dancing <laughs> devils. Yeah. So, <laughs> by the way, everyone... Welcome to Modern Guilt. This is <laughs> episode 11. 
Last episode, we had our like 10 episode celebration, which I decided was worth a pat on the back for. I don't know if anyone else actually wanted to reward us for that, but um, we rewarded ourselves. (laughs) We felt good about it. And our reward is doing more episodes. So all of this uh, discussion and reference to hell and Satan, the devil, Faustian bargains, alludes to something that we've both been pretty interested in over the last couple of weeks. So for someone who might not have listened to the last episode, we've been talking about the sort of, how can you put it, the opposition of um, the pursuit of sort of purely rational means, which historically have been framed as kind of like evil or, you know, associated with temptation or the devil. And um, on the other end, sort of aestheticism and the pursuit of beauty or maybe more noble means, which are obviously in the eye of the beholder. I think one of the things we notice is that there's so much amazing overlap with some of these old ta- uh, biblical tales and or just old philosophical concepts and how you can like cross that with uh, what's going on. So we're going to explore that a little bit. Yes. So Damon brought Faust to the table. Do you want to give a little overview of um, Faust and the origins of the story? Yeah. So very simply, I think a lot of people would be aware or like know the story because they might have seen the Brendan Fraser rendition of Faust, and Brendan Fraser might have been in it, might have had a Faustian bargain. But he did a, a movie called Bedazzled, and Bedazzled's about a guy. So this is like the f- most modern example of Faust that I can really find um, in popular culture, which is he makes a deal with the devil to win over um, the woman of his dreams, and the devil tricks him every time. You know, and the devil ultimately gives him like multiple different wishes and each one is brendan fraser trying to like win over this woman um and each time the devil tricks him somehow or the uh wish that he has comes true in a way that he didn't particularly want you know so like he has ultimate riches but he's bored or he um has the love of his uh the woman that he desires so much but she's married to someone else and she can't ultimately be with him or some variation of that. Uh, he's a pop star, but there's some guy that's always bigger than you know him as a pop star, and he like uh, wants to attain that level. So the devil's always fucking with him. The actual original version of Faust is about a guy who's bored and wants like just to spice up life a little bit. And so it starts off with him being like, "What." knowledge should i read medicine law you know and just deciding that he doesn't want any of that and he wants to know like you know the the darkest deepest secrets of the universe and then conjures up this devil called mephistopheles who grants him 20 yeah grants him basically like ultimate power for 24 years and then after that lucifer will have his soul to be cast into eternal damnation so that's like the rough story. So we're chatting about it and we we're like, hmm, I wonder, you know, like the, it seemed like there was a lot of overlap between that and different ideas that we we're seeing over and over again. So we're like, fuck it, let's riff on it. You know, there's two versions of it as well that are worth mentioning. There's a version where he knows that he's getting into a deal with the devil. And there's another version where um, he doesn't know that he's getting into a deal with the devil. And the devil sort of like tricks him into signing a contract. Um, that'll sell his soul, Mm. you know? Yeah, and I think one of the things that makes this, like, so interesting is that as we have sort of previously talked about off the podcast, 
is that these sorts of folk tales or you see the same sort of um, motifs or themes in a lot of like mythological and religious texts as well, is that these sorts of philosophical, I guess, challenges or uh, spiritual hurdles have been facing humans for millennia. And yeah, these these tales are obviously written as as warnings to us um, at a later point, and we still find ourselves getting to the same place over and over again. And regardless of sort of context or time or culture, it seems that there are individuals who seem to want to make these bargains and find themselves on the wrong side of them. You know what's surprising about diving back into all these things is that I feel like we've largely forgotten the bulk of these stories or they sort of been pushed under the the rug a little bit or maybe like um done in kind of like a campy way where i'm pretty sure like there's actually two versions of the movie bedazzled the brendan fraser one where i think he wins the girl at the end really um let me check that because i saw there's another one that's done in like 1967 right um and it's like an english one and it's this like goofy dude who like the movie starts with him like wanting to kill himself um and he the devil walks in and makes him a deal and then basically the devil just is like kind of fucking with people as well he doesn't commit like horrible acts he just like inconveniences everyone's life like he's the guy that sends pigeons to shit on people and like he gives them parking tickets and you know like delays them or makes their shopping bags rip and at the end the guy doesn't you know he goes through the whole process of being like uh of having seven wishes and each one is kind of like hollow and empty because all of the ultimate successes that you can get probably get hollow and empty, you know, as soon as you reach them. And at the end of it, he just goes back to his life of being kind of like a schmuck. Like he started the, the entire film as a schmuck and he ends the film as a schmuck where no one really knows him. And he's this like short dude who, you know, everyone thinks is kind of awkward. But I guess that's better than all of the ultimate wishes. Yeah. Um... So... I guess that's kind of representative of the idea that was pointed out in the Thug Notes clip that you sent me, um, which gave like an overview of the story of Faust and a little bit of a sort of like very base level analysis where not only does it sort of talk about, I suppose, morality and what you would give up to achieve material gains, but also um, it addresses the idea of predestination. So whether or not you were predetermined Mm. to sort of go down this unholy path or whether or not it was a choice and inherent in that there is the idea of like whether or not you can find salvation afterwards so like this guy in the film you're talking about who sort of i suppose has these wishes granted to him and chooses to go back to his life you could say i guess repents and finds salvation regardless of his deal yeah as opposed to heading down to internal damnation Mm. Um, which is more realistic. And in real life, uh, I feel like that's more the case, is that eternal damnation awaits um, those that sign like a Faustian bargain, at least the ones that I can imagine that I've thought and that I've seen. And I sort of, I think from my experiences, and this is purely anecdotal, but I think that for those who do repent or find salvation from their sort of bargain, their their good life is never quite what it was prior to their sort of um, adventure per se. Cause I think yeah. even though the, the sort of benefits that you uh, receive in one of these deals um, can often be sort of hollow and ultimately meaningless. There is still something 
base about it that you continue to crave and desire regardless? Yeah. Oh, man, that's just making me think of David Cho and Joe Rogan. Oh, yeah, 100%, man. Like, that was a fucking you know, such an amazing, like, just exploration of human nature, right? Yeah. Um, for anyone Absolutely. who's not uh, familiar with what we're talking about, we're talking about um, David Cho's appearance on the Joe Rogan experience, uh, which I think that podcast was released about a week ago now. Yeah. And David Cho is sort of a famous artist and media personality and I guess now philanthropist um, who has just chilling. Yeah. Who has now kind of, <laughs> chilling on his half a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. Who has um, sort of been tempted his entire life by sin and vice and what he describes as a disease of more and yeah. through different phases of his life, he's sort of willingly and admittedly given up everything that he's found sort of like holy and good uh, in pursuit of, I mean, essentially vice. Um, and now has gotten to the age of 45 and is the sort of broken husk of a person and is like all too all too self-aware of it just yeah fucking insanely <laughs> sad man so do you think that fame is inherently a faustian bargain uh and will leave you like meaningless and devoid of no you know, no i think i think about this a lot as as someone who makes music, obviously I think sometimes about like, oh, imagine what it would be like to blow up or get a major record deal or something like that. And I think that if you if you pursue that sort of success in your art and ultimately, I guess, by extension, you pursue fame blindly and the ends justify your means, then I think that is sort of inherently a Faustian bargain. But I think if you... If the opposite is true and you do what is true to you and what is organic and you make something that's meaningful um, and as a result of that you become famous, I think you maintain or retain your sort of humanity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think that the um, uh, modern guilt blowing up would uh, oh, well, it's change already the game? Changed you, bro. you sell out and start wearing bling? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard people say that, eh? Hey, I got the critique on that on my, like... Oh, no. um, from last week. Kidding, man. But that's really interesting. People, do people think you've changed since starting this podcast? I think it was a joke. But um, my rant was entirely based on the fact that I was like chilling in the suburbs and like walking around and seeing all these like fucking families enjoying themselves and stuff. And then like the moment that like, you know, shit fetishes, scat fetish, yeah. whatever the fuck it is, um, and OnlyFans was brought up at like burst my lovely little like idyllic suburb experience oh that dude that's the suburbs are um, the the hive of that kind of activity bro that's where the most of only fans i reckon man that's where fetishes. the most depraved of us hide the suburbs is maybe you're right uh, uh, i think so maybe you're right like you know people in the suburbs who lead such normal <laughs> lives are driven to such like insane desire man i reckon like american beauty you know yeah yeah true yeah, I guess it is kind of like a weird place, I guess, in that sense. And you know what's funny is I feel like it's a wonderful place if you've kind of like um, ultimately dived and searched for like uh, earthly pleasures and tried to follow those to their extremes and then ultimately concluded that like that's not something that's yeah, I agree. in life. And then you can yeah. relax, right? But if you haven't done that and you just skip to the end point of being like, oh, well, yeah. I'll just go to the suburbs. That fucks you up, dude. Like, you know, that... Because you don't know yourself. Yeah, yeah, must. Yeah. 
So is it necessary? Do you have to go through that whole process of like getting tempted by the seven deadly sins to? I mean, I wouldn't say it's necessary, but like I'm glad that I've been. You know what I mean? I I feel as though I've in my life I've yeah. been through the gauntlet, so to speak. I feel as though yeah. I've had experiences that have allowed me to see the worst of myself and. There have been times when I have like had intense or insane desire and I've had it quenched, you know, and I've seen that the consequences yeah. aren't actually good. Um, and now like no. I'm able to enjoy like a more like simple, I guess, trad life. And like, yeah, sometimes I think that like a, a semi rural property with a few animals and a farm on it and some kids is like the way to go. You know what I mean? But that's because I know myself. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. I can dig that. So on that note, um, Ted Kwasinski, yeah, the right. Unabomber, who killed three people and released his manifesto called "Industrial Industrial Civilization Ooh, and Its good. Consequences." I should read that. Um, which opens. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, it's you know one of the more important pieces I feel because it's it's going to give you a critique on society that you may or may not agree is with. Is it really long? Matter. Um, but it's important to be aware of. It's thirty five thousand words. It's Twenty yeah, pages. Okay, that's thirty pages. That's not. Know. It's not, not too like bad, yeah. obscene. Yeah, it's not like a rambling thing. Like uh, when it comes to extremist manifestos, <laughs> um, it's yeah. on the shorter side. So. <laughs> There's been ones that are published that are just ridiculously long. Yeah. And I don't think I've, like, apart from Mein Kampf, um, I don't think I've ever really read like a manifesto as such. Was Mein Kampf any good? I missed that one. It's, I mean, yeah, it's really well written, I think. It's it's pretty rambly, yeah. and there are times where you feel as though, like, you know, you could have cut it down to 10% of the length and said the same thing. But it's really good in the sense that you can find yourself reading stuff that you know in because hindsight is twenty twenty. you disagree with, but you can 100% see, or at least I could, how people agreed with it at the time. Mm. And Especially given the context. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah. it's written in a really sort of intellectual, pretty abstract way. I, As far as I can remember, yeah. there aren't references explicitly to, you know, like mass killing and stuff like that. It, it's all written... Uh, from a sort of like ethically justified and sort of like philosophically grounded standpoint, if that makes sense. But anyway, so you were saying. Right, yeah. Um, the Industrial Revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race. They have greatly increased the life expectancy of those of us who live in the advanced worlds, but have destabilized society and made life unfulfilling and have subjected human beings to indignities and has, have led to widespread psychological suffering and have inflicted severe damage on the natural world. So Ted Kwasinski was like a math mm. genius um, on track to being a professor at Harvard and then uh, kind of just like noped out of society and went and lived in a log yeah. cabin. Um, and within this log cabin, he uh, just led like a peaceful life with you know with nature and then some logging company came along and kind of like oh, built his fuck forest me, down or whatever. I know, man. He was just chilling, and then they fucked it up. So Ted Kwasinski had his revenge, and he mailed a bunch of pipe bombs and killed some people, and then said that if he if they don't publish his manifesto, then he's not going to um, stop. Yeah. Uh, stop. Yeah. Was it published? Going. Um, yeah. Yep. Washington wow. Post published it, and a bunch of other people did. Uh, this is back in nineteen ninety five. So interesting. So yeah. Um, and he argues that progress in and of itself 
is sort of like a Faustian bargain that you have the greater, like everything you ever wanted and you don't want any of it. <laughs> um, we have all the progress in the world and it doesn't ultimately increase human happiness, yeah. happiness or anything. It's just kind of like new stuff. Um, That's um, really relevant actually to some of the articles that I've read in preparation for this around this theme and also some of my own experiences. Um, I'll start yeah. with well, some of these articles. Before you do, if I can jump in quickly. Please do, yeah. Is there's this erosion, I feel, of like, you know, these platforms are just like eroding everything um, in terms of like our ability to connect. I want to, but before we jumped on, I found one uh, called cameo.com. And if you haven't checked it out, check it out. It is so fucking depressing. It is like personalized messages from celebrities and you can hire celebrities to basically do whatever the fuck you want. Well, not do whatever the fuck you want, but you know, like kind of like just do whatever for like 50 bucks or 80 bucks okay i see um and it's so sad man there's so many people on there where i'm just like oh dude you know there's just something about this that is just so rough anyway that's an aside ah uh, yeah that's so yeah they have the whole section called celebrating black excellence man and it's like just oh, these i can see this yeah and it's so fucking bleak. It's like Flavor Flav. And it's... Celebrate black excellence with Flavor Flav and get him to say happy birthday for a hundred bucks. <laughs> That's insane, man. Fucking, there's right? one here. I've never heard of this guy before, but his name is Arthur Motes. He's an NFL player. And yep. you can, 25 bucks is what he's like selling his like, <laughs> his platform for. And like, that's not even a knock on him because, like, dude yeah. probably just needs to make a fucking dollar because, like, the NFL shafts people, man. Like, but that's a whole other yeah. story. Um, but yeah, that's insane that you can, like, get this shit for so cheap. I discovered it, dude, on when I was looking for some good stock picks on Wall Street Bets and Holly <laughs> um. Madison, who was like Hugh Hefner's wife i think at some point you know like playmate of the year or something yeah right had an entire video talking about like just cringy fucking internet shit like if you want to get your chicken tenders you should you know you're a bad gay bear and stuff like that and i was like what the fuck is she saying why is holly madison like yeah you know it's saying all this like horrendous cringy internet shit and then i found cameo.com and i thought oh my god that is this is why fucking bleak yeah, yeah, you know. Shit, man. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, this is something. Uh, Brett the Hitman Hart. <laughs> uh, for anyone listening, this is really worth going on to because it's just like an archive of every like B to C list celebrity who's fallen from grace and now like needs to make some sort of income. Um, yeah, it's a where where are they now special, and it's starring everyone who you were wondering or may have asked at some point, where are they now? They're on oh. Cameo.com, charging a hundred bucks to sing Happy Birthday, or in some cases, two hundred. You know, there must be multiple platforms like this too, right? I bet there's like a whole, um, you know, uh, yeah, a whole contestable market of like shitty websites trying to like <laughs> trying to get these contracts with <laughs> chase down the agents yeah, of these C-list celebrities. Well, um, I mean, Akon's on there, right? Akon, Ice Cube, 
Like, oh really? Um, I haven't seen the big guns yet. Yeah, well, it's kind of sad, man. Well, they're on there for like five hundred bucks. You can rent them. Lennox Lewis is on there. Um, and again, they are all people that I'd be kind of like, well, where are they now? I guess Ice Cube has a pretty prominent like Twitter and stays relevant through yeah. that. But um, and you know, Akon has started Akon City. Do you know about that? No. What is that? So I'm just like doing this off the top of my head. So maybe I'm going to get some of the details right. But he's like founded this uh, like futurist city in Senegal, I think. Is that where Akon is from? <laughs> Are you um, serious? Yeah, and it's I'm yeah. pretty sure it's called Akon City and he's found his own cryptocurrency and it's meant to be this sort of like new paradise. <laughs> um that's awesome. That's really cool. Props to Akon. That's fucking epic. Yeah, are you looking at some pics right now? Um I'm trying to find it. Finalizes deal to build a cryptocurrency city in Senegal. Yeah, it looks All right, like dude. looks like Singapore. Shit in africa um like looking at the yeah. uh, conceptual art uh, there's also like a weird like there's two phallic skyscrapers rising from this like urban mess yeah um yeah yeah that looks like one of those yeah the design is actually just disgusting like i hate it um <laughs> but like i'm he's a really like uh philanthropic dude i'm sure he has plans for this to somehow lift a lot of people out of poverty um that's because Akon, I'm pretty sure, has made so much money since his music career um, and is using it to do like a lot of really positive things for Senegal. So That's super admirable. Very admirable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good for him. Yeah, I'd yeah, right? donate 500 bucks to, for him to shout out Modern Guild. <laughs> <laughs> well, to go that's, towards Akon that's City. something we can think about, man. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> we yeah i wonder who we should have a look and find out who like the weirdest celebrity is we can get to endorse us um oh actually i saw carol baskin from tiger king on there dude are you fucking serious yeah oh, that was, man that'd be pretty good 299 dollars it's almost worth it oh so, yeah i mean it's probably us yeah. though so that's a bummer yeah yeah but okay so <laughs> moving on from uh the unabomber manifesto there was a line yeah. in here that you uh, just read, which I found really interesting and relevant to something that I'd read. So yeah, they have greatly increased the life expectancy of those of us who live in advanced countries, but they have destabilized society, have made life unfulfilling, and have subjected human beings to indignities, which, yeah, you can't argue with that. <laughs> it's so, like, oh, just, man, that rings on so many different things. Uh, Straight up. So yeah. These articles I was reading were about the Faustian bargain built into uh, attempts at uh, using science for the purposes of life extension. And I guess more generally how we use medicine and the general sort of like paradigmatic approach to how medicine is used and the goals of medicine. And so essentially where we're at now, and I'm going to have to refer to my notes for this, is that we use something called the disease model in modern medicine in the West and, I mean, probably throughout the world now as well because um, med medical practice in other countries is largely based on what we've done in the West. Um, so, like, the disease model seeks to defeat diseases one by one as they sort of, I guess, present in the human body and then we let the human body continue aging until another one pops up and we defeat that one and then the next one. But obviously, as a result of that, we're focusing on like the 
sort of negative side effects of aging rather than preventing aging itself. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it's quite interesting because humans have pursued life extension in one form form or, or another since like the beginning of civilization. There are stories about like the fountain of youth and the elixir of life in mythology um, and people have literally gone on like expeditions to, to, to try and find these things and the holy grail which you know may or may not exist and i guess they could also work with metaphors for other things but essentially um we're sort of foolishly pursuing this idea that we want to be living for longer but the longer we live the more our bodies deteriorate and rot um yeah. and we're dragging out our life at the expense of the rise of heart disease cancer stroke alzheimer's osteoporosis osteoarthritis and everything we associate with aging and growing old to quote an atlantic article that i was reading so there's a sort of like counter movement now that is looking at um what's it called health extension as opposed to life extension um which if you sort of think about on in a more sort of meta way it's the equivalent of making the most of what you have instead of getting more so mm-hmm. health extension focuses on uh taking care of your body and cells to try and prevent them from generating these sicknesses uh be- before we even need to treat them right as opposed to assuming that these sicknesses are inevitable and curing them as they arrive which yeah i think is quite cool um i think it's a really good way of looking at things because it's like we have this you want to live well and die well exactly right and right like die quick and just bang well you're out maybe not even necessarily die quick right like but first we should prioritize living our life well and living the life that we know we will have well and once we've Mm -hmm. sorted that out then we can think about getting more and that's the same as your sort of like material ends or your your goals in life right it's like all right, how can I figure out how to not overreach, how to be content with myself and what I have right now before I go out mm. and strike strike a bargain to go and get myself more, but with all of these unintended consequences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and these bargains pop up in all forms. They affect everyone. You know, it's just the traditional Faustian bargain that we're all aware of is you selling your soul for ultimate riches, but... A lot of us aren't that special to the devil and the Faustian bargain you'll engage with will be like, do I sell my like entire week for two days? Yeah, of, exactly right. Um, yeah. Like, do I, do I sell my car to go to Bali with the boys? <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the idea that there's like a shit tier devil out there for like the rest of us that didn't make Mephistopheles. Yeah, yeah. 100 percent yeah but that's a really um interesting point though that you said the majority of us aren't that important to the devil or aren't that enticing right so like the greater your sort of capacity to mm, i suppose the the greater your capacity to produce or work for the devil the larger these bargains become and which are presented to you in life right think about it the further you climb the greater the risk is and the higher you fall. And I mean, the mm. likes of, say, Jeffrey Epstein is a perfect example of that, right? Like, but he could fulfill an end, right? He could sell women to rich people. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, but only yeah. because of his position, only because of his capacity and his talents, right? Like, yeah. he was clearly a very wealthy and smart person before he got caught up in all this shit. So, oh, no, he was poor, bro. He was, a, he was a physics teacher. Yeah, no, no. But he was also, like, he's made his own wealth, though, right? Oh, yeah, 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 I guess so. So what I'm saying is, like, he was clearly an intelligent dude. So, sure, he might have had modest beginnings, but he was 
most likely a smart and talented dude who built his own wealth and then had this bargain presented to him. Um, oh, yeah. So Sorry. Yeah, I guess you know. If you're, um, if you're a modest person sort of partaking in, I guess, what you could call meager activities, then often the scale of these bargains presented to you isn't going to be enough to lead to your ultimate downfall. So there's like that risk and reward dynamic, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, when you look at something like Tiger King, and you see like the bargains that they were presenting with is in the realm of like five to six finger deals. So figure finger, finger deals. deals. Finger deals. <laughs> well, I guess if you're it's a six finger deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you count with your hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like it's a deal with the devil where you're basically dealing with kind of like sums that aren't totally worth it. Um, but for them, because to them, I guess that's the ultimate bounty that they can understand and have within yeah you know what they have that was something that i was really struggling to wrap my head around in tiger king in that they were like you know selling tigers for five grand whatever yeah like the stakes are so fucking low and but they'll do so much to get that that bounty you know and i couldn't believe it dude that like there was so much um so much sin for so little yeah faustus oh faustus will thy sell thy soul for five thousand dollars (laughs) yeah so fucking shit yeah and like i mean it just shows how fucking naive i was but i thought a tiger would go for a couple of hundred k or something honestly yeah totally if i was trying to buy buy a tiger i would need to like you know come up with at least a hundred grand Hey, I thought that like getting Lennox Lewis to sing me happy birthday would cost more than like five hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, <fucking hey, laughs> I thought he had better shit to do. Oh Jesus! You know what I mean? <laughs> Man. Yeah, I thought Holly Madison was out there like living her best fucking life and not pandering to Wall Street bets. And I think maybe this speaks to um, the lack of leverage that you truly have when you make these deals compared to when you obtain these ends through your own means, right? So like if I was to revisit the sort of analogy of the music industry, um, if you, for whatever reason, sign a record deal and the agreement is, you know, five albums and on each of these albums you need to have three uh, radio-ready smash hits that just sound like mainstream garbage and like Taylor Swift fans can Mm -hmm. digest, you run out of options, you know? And yeah. you'll, you'll find yourself yeah, in the yeah. middle of that deal and you're kind of on a one-way street and your outs aren't that enticing. Yeah, you're so quickly forgotten, eh? Yeah. And, you know, and cast aside. Yeah, exactly. So when the likes of uh, Joe Exotic uh, gets on this fucking train and it just keeps going faster and faster and he's, like, cornered himself, painted himself into this corner, like... Yeah. Suddenly, the um, the rewards that he can reap start to look pretty fucking grim, and I think the <laughs> the the tighter the corner is that you paint yourself into, the cheaper the outs are. Yeah, 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 totally. You know, it's a really interesting analogy using like the tiger thing, king um, thing, mm. because like he had those two straight dudes, yeah, um, that he was sleeping with, and like he kind of achieved this level of having two husbands that were you know that he that i guess he found really really attractive um and but they didn't want to fuck it they hated him yeah. like and they hated him and it's like you know it's like the rewards you win i feel like a lot nowadays as well like what we were talking about last episode are so abstract and meaningless it's like like 
you know, you sign the contract, you get your 10,000 Instagram followers, and then you can sh- walk around and flaunt riches that you don't have. Yeah. In a life that you don't ultimately lead. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, um, I can consume like porn from any variation of attractive girl that I want that I'll never ultimately have. I'll be <laughs> beating off by myself to, yeah. you know. Progress. But it'll only cost me like eleven ninety nine. Yeah, not even eleven ninety nine, man. You know, nine ninety nine. <laughs> Fucking less than that, bro. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't even know what an OnlyFans account subscription starts at, but I'd imagine like there are probably some fucked up OnlyFans accounts in like Central Africa, man. That start at like two cents a day. You reckon? Oh, probably, man. Like. <laughs> You know, there are more uh, smartphones than like uh, medical facilities in the world. You know, that's a terrible analogy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah, no, um, no, no. It's like the outsourcing of labor has like dramatically reduced the price. So the outsourcing of like booty picks has dropped it so low. Yeah, exactly, right. But I guess you can get it and anywhere. Like, so like super cheap. internet connectivity has like outpaced progress in so many other ways that there would be a woman in the Congo probably doing OnlyFans for like a pittance, you know, just to like eat some Price, um yeah. which is just like fucking horrible to think about but i'm sure it's That's the truth fucking really and i'm sure that they do far um, worse shit than that like actually oh, yeah, to, to borrow again from this uh david cho episode of the joe rogan experience man how fucking yeah. crazy was that story he was talking about of um being in the congo and meeting this german politician who was there on like a sex holiday to just like bang all of these congolese like prostitutes dude. oh yeah um yeah no like, it's not surprising yeah at all. just jumping into this pit of vice yeah and like oh, <laughs> that kind of stuff must be so accessible in these types of countries man oh it definitely is man. yeah like my time in indonesia um i came up a lot of people that were very openly engaging in that sort of behavior yeah you know and it's just it's everywhere it's like and it's not even hard to get you know like you can have the most heinous of crimes that you will have to you know live with for the rest of your life um available very easily yeah yeah right like a, like a fucking cab right away you know? yeah so yeah and the fact yeah the fact that it's like a politician engaging in it i mean we all know that that happens i guess yeah. there's a well that there's a level of corruption but i don't it's always a surprise how deep it goes it was like when rob ford did you ever get to the rob ford story oh, i loved that the, man yeah fuck it was good eh? yeah he's such a fucking canadian legend um just like straight he was such a mutant yeah so um (laughs) for the listeners rob ford was the mayor of toronto and a few years ago like a pretty like gnarly scandal emerged where rob ford was just uh taking crack like he was a full crack addict right and was just like banging yeah i didn't believe it though um when it came out yeah and was just like running some sort of like protection racket with local criminals and his brother or something and also refused to leave office um when all of the scandals emerged so it was just like uh performing as job as the mayor while high on crack and just like was this unhealthy dying morbidly obese like <laughs> fucking maniac which is so pretty extraordinary was rob ford acting in that way because he was condemned to hell or was he condemned to hell because he was acting in that way good question right predestination yeah. who knows yeah man I just think at one point he must have realized he was dying and just thought, fuck it, I'm going to light this train up. I'm going to smoke some fucking crack. I'm going to, like, get some hookers. I'm going to run our little racket, 
You know who I'm going to be the most badass fucked up mayor that this town has ever seen? And I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory, you know? Yeah. And he did. He did. Is he alive? Nah, man, he died. He died of like a massive heart attack. Right, okay. Um, and to his credit, like, he wasn't the worst mayor that Toronto's ever had. So, was he not? <laughs> uh, no, he was reasonably okay. Um, you know, like, the city, he was, like, bad for a reputation standpoint. Um, yeah, right. He was kind of like a Trumpian figure where he, he came to power because he was sort of, like, a man of the blue collar that was also, like, heavily conservative. Yeah. Um, but my cousin and grandmother spoke quite highly of them. Yeah, right. Over there. That's interesting. And she, she's like arch conservative though. Like my grandmother is probably the closest you'll get to like a living Mr. Burns. But, um, you know, she, she thought he was great. And yeah. Apparently he cleaned up the traffic problem or whatever. Oh, good. You know, what do you, what do you want from a mayor, man? They normally just cut fucking ribbons and shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, you're, you're right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the um, I'm just trying to think about what the mayor of Brisbane has achieved since he's um, been in office, and I can't really think of anything. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, I guess cities um, are built on so much bureaucracy that even without the mayor, they just keep ticking over, right? It's like yeah, it's like yeah, most it's, workplaces where like you your boss has some sort of crisis and doesn't turn up for a few days in a row and then everyone looks around and they're just like oh wait like he doesn't need to be here or she doesn't need to be here we're all just working it's yeah. fine uh, and you <laughs> like that relates again to corporate bloat you know oh jesus yeah well, that's gonna be its own standalone episode uh, it's just such a fucking disgusting issue um anyway you're talking about health extension and everything yeah um and i find that really interesting because what you're talking about i feel does relate heavily to the whole idea of like sure we can get older but ultimately what does that mean especially if you're dying of dementia and you have health issues um you know plaguing every second of your existence yeah right um yeah it's like the prize without anything inside it's like you win the fucking box here's like an extra 20 years yeah of wheel bound depression yeah so <laughs> i saw that firsthand with my grandmother and grandfather on my mother's side um and yeah. they they were never wealthy and they retired on a state state pension so you know essentially less than minimum wage living in a state house and while they were somewhat happy for the majority of their old age, they crossed a line eventually where they were kept alive, but their quality of life was so fucking minimal, man. Um, and, like, mm. they both fought off strokes and cancer and heart disease and stuff like that. And I feel like in, like, the public lexicon, we're sort of, like, trained to talk about that as being, like, quite noble. And we yeah, yeah, encourage yeah, yeah, yeah. that. But when you see yeah, the, yeah. the deterioration of a human body and their mind, like, there's nothing noble about it, man. It's pretty fucking gross. And to think oh, that, fucking to, like, if that's progress, like, to, to drag more people along, like, mm. until they finally give up, like, I don't fucking yeah. know if that's a goal that we should be like aiming towards man well it's relevant in time uh with you bringing this up because we are we're voting on euthanasia soon uh um, oh really in new zealand so yeah we have a referendum coming up where we're going to vote on whether you can smoke weed and kill you not kill yourself um, in one you know, fell like, end your life <laughs> yeah <laughs> at the same time yeah. you know um, 
Yeah, so I've always kind of felt like I've kind of made a decision a while ago um, that I'd rather uh, just end my life at a certain point. I think there's going to come a very logical conclusion, and I know, you know, like I I don't want to go through that bullshit, man. No way. Right. It's horrible. You know? Yeah. So like I'm, I'm gonna take the opiate and benzo option and just fucking bliss out at like when I'm like 99. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't believe yeah. more people don't kill themselves in old age, to be honest. And so I'm assuming it's safe to say you're going to vote in favor of euthanasia, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. From yeah. what I can I gather. I very strongly. I, I've always felt strongly about it. And I saw a play that really put me over the edge. And it, it kind of messed with me a little bit. Um, for like a while, I got really obsessive about dementia um, to the point that I was like trying to get my parents to like take ibuprofen every day because I heard it might ward it off. But I went to go see this play called The Father. And it's about this, it starts off as kind of a comedy and you go in and you're very disarmed by the fact that you're this is like forgetful old man and he's so cute and he's like, where'd I put my keys? Oh, I can never find my keys. And the his daughter's taking care of him and she's like, dad you're always forgetting your keys oh i just can't find them you know and it's like very sort of funny and uh i thought it was like oh i thought this was meant to be good you know and it's this kind of like this schlucky comedy um i feel like i'm watching some like live sitcom or something that just yeah sucks. like everybody loves rain yeah. or something but without the laugh <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and then it like sharply goes downhill man he starts forgetting his daughter and the the play was masterfully done because the daughter character like changes characters multiple times so it'd be like a different person comes out as the daughter and he's like who are you who are you get out of my house you know and starts like getting violent and aggressive against her yeah right um and she is like starts breaking down in tears she's like i just can't do this anymore and then at the end of it like the dad is so riddled with dementia like his brain is so you know just destroyed by it that he's like crying on the ground screaming for his mother um and everything and i just i left the theater like fucking shocked and blown away and like not able to process it and then i went on youtube because you know whatever <laughs> like i love destroying my mind and emotional state <laughs> and started youtubing like uh this you know dementia to try and learn more about it and i found this youtube channel this guy um vlogging his mother's decline into dementia um Nally. and it is brutal it is so fucking brutal because it's basically the exact same thing and i didn't realize how bad it was and at that point i was like i 100 percent am going to end my life um with benzos and opiates and without even hesitation the moment that that happens to me no fucking way am i going through that shit i just couldn't imagine anyone going it's the death of dignity man like yeah it really is right yeah 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 do you think that um do you think that humans are able to recognize like the critical threshold there is a documentary on that called, I think, like a minute to midnight or something, or yeah, right. ten minutes to midnight or some shit like that. And it's about people slipping into Alzheimer's, and everybody wants to die right as it gets to the point that they're starting to slip away. But they don't know. Um, they don't, man. I think like there definitely seems to reach a point where you don't know, and you just kind of like slip, and you can't comprehend what's actually happening to you. Yeah um yeah that's what i yeah that's what i was worrying about as you were describing that i could imagine some sort of like and this is like so callous in terms of like (laughs) i guess uh it's treatment of human life but i can imagine some sort of 
service where you sign a contract uh, with a company ahead of time and then like every six months or something you carry out a bunch of like cognitive and physical tests to see if you're still like in prime condition and then once you like your results uh drop below a certain point they like kill you um jesus i knew exactly where that was going yeah (laughs) yeah i mean that that would be one way to do it um i think personally like i just imagine setting a date and just be like this is my death date um and then have like one last meal with everyone Um, it feels a little more dignified right like it's like a last meal and you have your last moments and everything and it's it's more there's more finality to it and you can kind of like clear everything up by that day and then you know that's the day that you get to go yeah i've actually thought about something like this recently as well i was thinking about getting to extreme old age and what it would be like to um to just sort of come to an agreement with francisca that yeah we're both really old we both had a full life and we're just going to kill ourselves together um because like romeo and julia yeah because i I wouldn't want to be 90 without her or and i imagine vice versa yeah and but i was imagining sitting down or lying down on that day right before you're about to carry out whatever act you're gonna do and trying to process death man like in that moment must be so fucking hard and i think i think i would pussy out to be honest dude um i don't know if i could accept turning the lights off but i mean that's me now so you know i think about it a lot and so um this isn't a flex but I go to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> um and on my way to the gym there's an old folks home or there's another route that goes through the ghetto right and so basically every day i have to choose between going through the ghetto which i do some days and then going through the old folks home which i do other days um and it's it's like a thing that i actually cognitively process like oh do i want to go look at old people or do i want to go like get yelled at or you know walk past someone yelling at someone else um and as i go through the old folks home like most days it's they're smiling and they're happy and like i wave to them and i chat to them every now and again and they they seem like really nice sort of you know and, and i look at it and i think oh okay i could i could deal with that that looks okay um you know it seems like some of them are lonely and other ones aren't but every now and then man i walk past some of them and they are just like they look like husks man yeah they're fucking dumb yeah i sort of feel like my ideal state is getting to the end of life and you know i would imagine you're going to be in the state of kind of like where you're sort of like just nostalgic 90 percent of the time or you're just sort of like reliving old memories because i mean and maybe like writing, like I literally imagine I'm just going to be sitting there writing a memoir or some shit. And then like, just kind of like laughing and talking to people about, uh, glory and glory days and all that sort of bullshit that old people do. Um, that it wouldn't feel, it doesn't feel as bad to think about that and being like, okay, there's this like end date. And that's where I just like turn the switch off. Um, but I can also imagine what you're saying. Like the void is pretty unreal oh, and it would kind of suck dude. to do it and have something on the other side. I, I used to have these existential nightmares and panic attacks that like, you know, like I'd die and then I'd, I'd end up in this like persistent hell. that just like rages on. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen the film Ad Astra? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah I watched yeah. that as well. And like, while I think as a whole, the film's not that good, I really enjoyed the concept of sort of Brad Pitt having this 
so, uh, so I'll preface um, this with a description of the movie for listeners. Ad Astra is a sort of dystopic sci-fi film set in, I feel, the near future where humans have colonized Mars um, and Earth is pretty close to its expiry date. And Brad Pitt plays an astronaut whose uh, father had been sent beyond the solar system, I think, on a previous mission. And had begun to send back strange signals. And so Brad Pitt is sent into deep space in pursuit of his estranged father. And I think like that sort of concept in that movie of uh, Brad Pitt's character having this sort of like longing for something that he doesn't quite even understand and then having to Mm. enter the void to get it is really powerful. And there's this phase in the film where he's, I mean, I can't remember what, Uh, sort of parts of space or planets were used as kind of like checkpoints or landmarks in the story but he passes one of the sort of last planets in our solar system and goes through a period of traveling for a year in darkness um, with his own thoughts and there's nothing and he doesn't know what he's heading towards either he wants his father and he wants a relationship with him but there's no guarantee that he'll have that and i think embracing death is maybe similar you know like you want yeah. some warm hopeful version of it but it's might be a long way to go i don't know yeah 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 well i guess no one does yeah but um sorry to take the wind out of your sails <laughs> <laughs> well no it makes me think like you know i just want to have lived well and then whatever happens at the end of it i feel like i can justify um like and, and i think a lot of the decisions i make nowadays um you know we're having like a uh, we <laughs> we always have like a personal chat before these podcasts kick off. But one of the things that guides my decision making, and I guess we kind of started on another tangent that we never finished. But I always feel like every decision I make now is more based around the fact that I want to make sure that if I die tomorrow, that I'm not going to be like you know. And I have that because the thing that fucks me up, man, is the reflection period. There's a period of time that I'm imagining that you're dying, that you have to sit there and think about your life. You know. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't done what you wanted to do during that period of time, you're fucked, dude. That is going to be the worst. Okay, so bring this back to Faust. Uh, the last hour that Faust is alive, after he's made this deal with the devil and he's basically um, made life miserable for people for 24 years um, and, and just kind of like lived and done whatever and was kind of like a shitty person, is he says longer than the 24 years he'd lived before. And it makes me think a lot about dying and like, you know, you're going to have this period of time that may only be a week, maybe a year, maybe a month, but it's, you know, going to be a lot shorter than the rest of your life, but it'll be longer because all you're going to be doing is sitting and thinking and like digesting. And I want that period to be filled with me laughing at shit that I've done or thinking back to good shit that I've done rather than sitting there like lamenting and having being making uh, one of the top 10 regrets of the dying list you know yeah that makes me wonder if i mean as is suggested in faust if that period is is longer if you are unable to come to terms with what you've done in your past so it's like a torture unto itself you know if you if you know in yourself that you've done things that don't align with your values or that have been immoral or that you didn't give yourself uh, a greater opportunity to be happy or to make other people happy if that period is drawn out in that thought process as opposed to if you know you've done your best to live a good life and 
I guess, make a positive Im- impact on other people if that same phase is relatively painless um, and maybe flies by. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I've I've had a I feel like I've got a bit of a unique perspective on that because I've been to two I've had two family members die, uh, one that was renownedly hated and the other one was renownedly loved. And uh, the the one that was renownedly hated, no one attended his funeral. Um, no one went. No one liked him. Uh, he was a sort of bonable, horrible human being, and died lamenting and regretting his life. And the other one, um, Unky Bob. Uh, was loved. He taught me how to read. His his funeral was widely attended. The entire thing was just stories of how fucking incredible his life was. I saw him in the days that he was leading up to death, and he was reasonably content with what was happening. You know, yeah, it was right. Fascinating. Like I would say, you're pretty much bang on the money from like my own anecdotal experience. Yeah, and plus, I think like you hear a lot of that as well. There's people who have died well publicly. And it seems like a lot better than people who have died publicly and done like horrible things, you know? <sighs> yeah. You know what I find crazy, man? Is the, yeah. It's weird how regularly I think about Saddam Hussein squatting in a hole in the ground and being dragged out and hung. Oh, yeah, man. That was brutal. Eh? Yeah. That was a tough watch. Um, and I mean, you know, Gaddafi came to a pretty similar end. Yeah. I find those kinds of things really fascinating. And I wonder if, to me, Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi seemed like they genuinely thought they had not done a bad thing. Hmm. What do you think about that? I, I think that they, sorry, I know that I just asked you a question and immediately started continuing talking. <laughs> but I just wanted to, I guess, complete my thought yeah. while I still had it. My sort of like narrow understanding of the way that their lives came to an end makes me think that they legitimately suffered at their end as a person would who thinks that they were dealt some sort of injustice and i don't know if they were able to reckon with the fact that they had probably committed mass atrocity and they were killed in these ugly horrible ways yeah um i don't think like gaddafi was a weird one because i there's i watched a documentary called hypernormalization that suggests that gaddafi's uh you know crimes were not actually crimes and they're placed upon him and he was actually a reasonable leader but i'm not going to weigh in on that because i just don't know enough about it yeah um but i'd imagine that gaddafi at the very least who died feeling um like he had an injustice committed against him saddam I don't know, man. It's hard to place. Like, did Saddam? Because Gaddafi was on a mission to unite the world. I feel like he was a a leader that had a mission of some kind. I'm not sure if Saddam had one. He just kind of seemed like an like a autocrat who brutalized his own people. But either way, I hear what you're saying. Um, mm. And their last moments were fucking not pretty at all. Like that is not many would be deserving of that fate. Yeah, if yeah. Any at all? Do you? You know. Yeah, so like theoretically, well, not not theoretically. Eichmann, I mean, yeah. Who was Eichmann? Uh, he was the uh, kind of like the accountant of Auschwitz sort of style. He was right. a major guy in the, the Nazi Party that um, ultimately said that it, you know got people into the gas chambers and everything. Yeah, and he was hung in Israel, I think. How was he? Okay, yeah. publicly. Publicly, yeah. Yeah, right. That seems like a fitting death. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think as soon as you brutalize a body. That's when it gets too bad for everybody. Mm. I don't th- dragging him behind a car. Eh? Yeah, oh. yeah. The way Gaddafi was was done in was pretty fucked. And like, yeah, I think that's got to be fucking damaging to the people 
committing the act as well, man. Like, I can't imagine what kind of catharsis that can bring you. I mean, maybe for like 10 minutes, you know what I mean? But like... Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, eh? Yeah. I I imagine a year later you would be thinking about the way that you were pummeling a corpse's face with your boot. Well, wasn't it disgusting when America killed Bin Laden and the entire nation like rejoiced? And everything that always felt weird to me as well, like Bin Laden getting taken out, mm-hmm. and then you know the entire nation being like, "We got him," and it was like, Ugh, particularly gross. because like Bin Laden was in a compound with his family, yeah. and like I know that you know the majority of people think that Bin Laden commi- committed mass atrocities, also, and I mean, there's the old like age-old saying that one man's terrorist is, is another man's freedom fighter so regardless of which position you take you can well sorry depending on which position you take you can see bin laden in, in whatever light but yeah the I, renditions or assassinations are pretty fucking intense man to just yeah. like steal someone's life in the blink of an eye and that's mm. the way they end is pretty full-on speaking of which um this is a little bit of a segue but just yeah. um like as it relates to being taken in the night, you know, this sort of ongoing uh, activism in Brisbane regarding the 120 refugees who are being illegally detained in the um, hotel. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure if you'll remember me describing this person to you, but there's a city councillor named Jonathan Shree, who's the only green city councillor on the Brisbane Council. And the site where those uh, asylum seekers are being detained is in his council ward. So he is really active in encouraging rallies and protests and stuff like that um, and providing sort of, I guess, a voice to that movement um, and participates in it as well. He sometimes organizes them himself, but more often than not, he sort of just, I guess, adds momentum to them. Um, But on Saturday, just being, there was a major sit-in on the Story Bridge planned. And the Story Bridge is probably the second most important bridge in Brisbane in terms of uh, like the traffic load it takes or whatever. Mm. So the idea was for the first time in history to block the Story Bridge to make a statement, and which is legal, I might add, um, yep. uh, as is all nonviolent protest. And the, okay, so one more important detail was that because of a weather forecast, the sit-in had been postponed a week, um, and that was announced on Friday evening. And at 1 a.m. on yeah. Saturday morning, the police came onto Jonathan Tree's houseboat in the middle of the night and shone a flashlight in his face and woke him up and arrested him. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, right? Jesus, that's um, and yeah. Because he's been in communication with the police about these rallies in the past, they have his phone number and his email address, um, and they could have easily contacted him, and he probably could have presented himself in an office or a police station. But yep. they choose, chose to resort to um, that tactic of intimidation and um, then yeah, dragged him into the court. So they took him from his home at 1 a.m., and he had to appear before court at 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Yeah. So like, good luck getting in touch with a lawyer in that period. And yeah, the the court ruled ruled in his favor. Uh, the the police were trying to um, have an order imposed that would ban him from attending any rallies near the Story Bridge, but the court upheld the law as they should. But yeah, fucking yeah. Imagine that, dude. Flashlight in your yeah. face at one a.m. Yeah. is like something out of horror stories, literally. Oh like, yeah, like that is man. fucked yeah, no, up. That's dude. so rude. Like, and yeah. and he's not even a criminal, you know. 
yeah, that's very dystopian, eh? It's getting it's a weird time for that. I feel like there's more and more cases where you're starting to see people get cracked down on and just I don't know, unnecessary like with unnecessary yeah, force. Absolutely. Especially in these parts of the world. We like we are relatively peaceful, you know, like and there's less need for that sort of nonsense. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree with you. I'm sorry, I was just um hmm. distracted because my dog is having a dream again. He's like uh, maybe like running in his sleep uh, or something. He's like wriggling his legs around. Yeah. And has his uh his mouth really wide open like a big idiot, just like <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah. yeah nice. Uh I'm gonna get some water, man. Nice. Yeah, I need to take a piss. I'll cool. be back soon. Fuck yeah. Fuck, yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Back into it. And we're back. Yeah, I got some coffee as well. Nice. Oh, dude. That's um, a great idea. I need to get another one before uh, before cafes close. Um, oh, I'm, I'm not saying right now. I just mean like, you know, <laughs> soon. Yeah, no, that's chill. Um, yeah, fuck. Anyway, that's all. That's some, some pretty heavy shit. Uh, yeah, yeah. Conversations about death uh, <laughs> normally only go one direction. <laughs> um i was meant to touch on the faustian bargain and fame but i feel like we've done um yeah actually yeah no fucking a i definitely will so when i was looking into the faustian bargain i was ultimately trying to like cross over with something um because it's interesting it pops up and we all know it exists and we all make it but it like in terms of the actual study of it it doesn't really seem to be sort of like a widely you know, recognized thing True. anymore. And I feel like we've almost like started to do away with the concept of it. And, you know, especially with the seven deadly big tech companies, <laughs> um, <laughs> trying to normalize like a lot of the uh, behavior that they encourage. Well, um, also, I think, um, you know, the fact that the consequences of a Faustian bargain have been commodified by the media and social media is probably a huge part of the fact that we don't really provide commentary on it anymore. Yeah, we really don't. Like a lot of it seems to be pretty encouraged. Exactly. The know. fallout of um, it is like hungered for. Yeah, man. Oh God. There's like gracious downfall in horrible sin now, you know? Um, and it just seems to be, it's almost like craved. It on. is fully. Yeah. Like one of the things that I ended up finding when I was researching this stuff though, was the Economist basically wrote this entire article on the Faustian bargain back in the 1997 or something mm, like that. Cool. And it was all based around um, Diane, uh, Princess yep. Diane, which I don't really have much Diana? memory because I'm not that old. Yeah, Princess yeah. Diana. I remember her dying um, briefly, you know. vaguely, I mean. Yeah, I heard about it. I didn't care. I was yeah, like right. 10, like, why would you? you know, I mean, why would you care if you were an adult? <laughs> that's, that's, that's yeah, yeah well, on. exactly. Why would anyone yeah. care? Um and they touched on this, like the original celebrity. And it kind of fucking threw me a little bit because I didn't realize there was a time when celebrity didn't exist. Right. And so they talk about the emergence of celebrity. Um, and one of the true first global celebrities was this guy called Charles uh, Lindenberg or something. I've never actually heard of him at all. I don't even know what he did. Um, but they talk about him and how he couldn't cash a check or do his laundry in a laundromat because his stuff would get stolen um and he'd never get the check back you know because people basically were like so obsessed with they had like mania over this guy um and he really did pay the faustian bargain for his fame um he had his child murdered 
And not only was his child murdered, uh, the press broke into the morgue, smashed the coffin, and took photos of Jesus the child's mangled corpse and sold the fucking pictures on the streets of New Jersey. So it was like the full, you know, destruction of privacy. And, and this was sort of like an unusual case. Yeah, of, of course. So it was like, you know, he has no privacy. Every part of his life is kind of like on camera. Um and then, you know, when Princess Diane came along, I guess that was another thing that was before our time, but like, you know, it was the, like, one of the first true global celebrities. And so when I started reading about this shit, I had also happened to be watching this Rob Lowe and Joe Rogan thing, um, where, you know, Rob Lowe was like another kind of, I guess he was big in the eighties and, you know, I wasn't even alive then. So, uh, during that period, he talks about it being like one of the most incredible experiences ever because you're a celebrity. You still had some, I, you know, like form of privacy. You could go away. You could do like Coke binges and, uh, <laughs> drink and fuck and everything. And funnily enough, Rob Lowe's downfall was him having a sex tape of him and a 16 year old. Jesus so, Christ. Are you serious? Uh, <laughs> Well, he was 24, she was 16, and the age of consent was 14. It was within right. Georgia. Um, age of consent is 14 in Georgia. That fucking next level. Of... Anyway, um, so, like, there's this golden period, apparently, of celebrity where, you know, you still had some form of privacy if you weren't, like, at the upper echelons, whereas nowadays it's, like, completely eroded, and there's no privacy whatsoever, you know, and it's, like, everyone with a camera is able to capture you 24-7, no matter what you're doing what's rob lowe's deal he looks so familiar but i actually can't um doesn't he look like a, every celebrity every male celebrity ever without being any he of basically them? does you're right uh, i don't know what his deal is i've never even seen a movie that rob lowe's in except like <laughs> yeah, i don't know man I, he just seems like a generic hollywood celebrity when that's kind of imagining like i imagine that's what he ultimately is is just sort of like some generic um celebrity that's mm. just so um exists. in 1985 <laughs> he was nominated uh the golden raspberry award for worst supporting actor in saint elmo's fire um yeah oh, okay Sweet. i mean i'm skipping through his credits here but 1992 he was in wayne's world which i think was really famous but i haven't seen it um oh yeah i've seen oh yeah i remember rob Lowe from that actually yeah okay. right austin powers yeah. um <laughs> Uh, I have no idea. The next Austin Powers, and then a whole bunch of shitty movies that don't seem any good. Yeah, fair enough. Um, The most current example, I guess, of all of this uh, people getting too famous and then having their downfall is Ellen DeGeneres, who's like currently going through this mega destruction because she's um, apparently a horrible person, which is entirely like realistic. I can imagine. Yeah, I've. You know. I've almost sort of intentionally avoided this story so far, actually. Can you fill me in on it? <laughs> um, I don't really know much about it. So uh, he says opening the link right now to talk informed about it. <laughs> um, as far as I understand, there's all these allegations that Ellen um, is like a really brutal boss and racist. So, um <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know entirely what the deal is. I think there's like a lot of murky details. Of course still, there are. But effectively, you know, and the thing is, it's like, of course she's a shitty person. She's running a fucking talk show. Like, all of those people are shitty people. I'm not surprised that, I'm, I'm surprised that people are surprised that Ellen is a ruthless, um, you know, horrible person. <laughs> Anyone who like feigns that much 
to be like upbeat and sociable is clearly like a monster on the inside. Um, and there's this like, you know, Buzzfeed came out and was like, her entire sweet persona is fake. It's like, what the fuck did you expect? Am I the only one that thinks that Ellen was like a shitty person the whole time? I I got to be honest, I dude. I was fooled. Like, I mean, look, yeah. I'm not going to say like I thought she was a fucking angel and she was the best because I've never really had an opinion about her. But like she seemed yeah. nice enough to me, to be honest. And I mean, I still feel like you have to take this kind of shit with a grain of salt, man. Like, sure, she's probably done some racist shit. But is she a racist person? I don't know. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Uh, everyone's fucked up. Everyone's being shitty. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel you. And also, like, you know, she runs a talk show. Like, she's fucking, you know, it's a big talk show. It's not exactly like, right. Um, some random bullshit in the middle like, of nowhere. And, like, no one can be on that much. Exactly. Like, can't. she's an insanely yeah. successful business person. You don't yeah. get yeah. there by being nice to everybody. <laughs> or to, yeah you have to be ruthless i think that's the thing that i'm not surprised at like is she's effectively coming across as ruthless and cold yeah well and if anyone's gonna expect that you can be anything other than ruthless and cold to get to the number one talk show in the world you can't it's like you can't become president without being a backstabber you can't really get into politics without um clambering over people and playing the politics game which is like one inherently based on like backstabbing yeah exactly and um skirting around people and throwing coups like you just can't be a good person and do it they don't go i mean the only person that i, I yeah. think you can be a good person and do it but you have to acknowledge that you have to be a good person and do some bad things you have to be a person where the ends justify them exactly means, yeah I feel. in a democracy you yeah do. if we weren't in a democracy then maybe not if you if we're in like you know some monarchy or something like that you could be like the philosopher king and you know assume power because the only people that should be in power are the ones that like don't want to be in power i feel anyway because they you know are too busy doing other things that's with their time interesting point um anyway so there so all of this is like you know just modern fame and uh the general downfall of people involved in it um and i came across this article or it was actually a book written by this guy called daniel borston mm -hmm. um called the image which is a guide to a guide to pseudo events in america and he wrote this book based around um how celebrity and pseudo news is what he was calling yeah. it um is used as a tool to distract us and this is ultimately what we've done is we've like accepted um celebrity and uh you know these new godly figures who are virtuous for their state of being well known and as he, his description is people who are well known for their well knownness <laughs> um as opposed to heroes who had to achieve something for notoriety which is like the original celebrity um and these fake events and you know these like contrived stories and everything are ultimate distractions um that lead to like greater multinational interest that's a pretty common sentiment nowadays mm -hmm. and one that we've talked about yeah. a lot that guy wrote that back in like 1962 um and he described like wow. kennedy as being one of the original people winning on demeanor rather than like actual um policy or whatever yeah right that's really interesting do you think yeah, that sort of hiding in the bushes or lurking in the shadows are just hit pieces on every prominent celebrity being made right now though Oh like, yeah, yeah, and it's all a distraction. Yeah. Like no one should really care about this. I don't care about this. There's a there's one I was gonna bring up to be like purposefully inflammatory, 
but I just decided not to, but I'm going to bring it up okay. now, is that um, what's currently pissing a lot of people off is apparently the Matrix is an allegory for, like, uh, being trans. Come on, what? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the Netflix film, which is a Twitter account that no one asked for, um, came out and did this massive, like, feed on how the Matrix is, like, actually all about transitioning and and like i don't fucking care and the thing is is like i don't care about ellen degeneres either like i don't care whether she screams you know every racial obscenity in her spare time and throws shit at a wall like i mean i I would kind of care about the last one that'd be pretty funny (laughs) um you know like it's distractions man like it's all distractions like none of it's real yeah no you're absolutely right who cares um it's like oh here's you know and weirdly enough a lot of these stories come out around the time that there's some sort of like bigger issue happening um and i feel like yeah there's they have hordes of uh you know, ready, distractionary, inflammatory pieces um, to throw everyone into a rage over, like, whether Wonder Woman's a, um, you know... <laughs> yeah, a groundbreaking film or deep not. In, yeah, a groundbreaking uh, win for, like, feminist yeah. rights. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like the the media equivalent of giving your crying child an ipad uh, um yeah it's, it's just like shit totally. things are getting a little bit tricky for mom and dad right now like here's a fucking moving colorful screen to put in front of you yeah yeah was the matrix trans related like who cares it's a fucking film it's whatever you make yeah it. yeah you're right you know i don't want to even like oh so i'm just gonna so enraged by those pieces eh? because they just (laughs) fucking are so pointless like maybe it is maybe it isn't um the director says it is so i guess it is for me it was a sick cyberpunk movie about people in tubes covered in goo you know (laughs) yeah that's really that's really interesting that the director says it is yeah she is trans okay right so she would yeah right um you know like i feel like and and for her you know maybe it doesn't matter it's a movie it's whatever you yeah, want exactly to be. Um, um you know like any piece of art is whatever you want and to be. i wonder though if the director says it is because that's how she interprets it or if that was the intention it was apparently the intention so apparently there was meant to be like uh because i actually read the twitter yeah. feed um unfortunately uh you know and like and to make credit i was actually trying to like find shit to do with the faustian bargain and i can't <laughs> fucking twitter account and i was just like raging on it because i was like god damn it like we do not need netflix film to like further incite rage so across um is netflix the netflix film twitter account just like run by netflix and they just say like edgy shit or something like what's the deal yeah right that's pretty much it man um <laughs> yeah so, so and, and it's like it's an interesting tool it, it's a tool definitely used to like try and make relevant yeah of course so yeah, they just put netflix into a relevant yeah they just line. capture the narrative of the day and figure out how they can tie one of their products into it yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah yeah because it doesn't matter whether you like that narrative or you don't like that narrative you're probably going to watch the movie <laughs> and subscribe to netflix and that's all yeah care of course about. you know um that's the the faustian bargain we've all made for cheap <laughs> easy on-demand um film is yeah that bullshit that we now have to deal with mm. hmm. there you go mm. there i can really hear the birds on your end right now it's nice oh really yeah oh sorry yeah i got the no, window open don't be sorry there might be some um some car ASMR. people have told me that you can often hear the crows in the background on my end um 
I really like <laughs> it. <laughs> That's funny because other people have told me they like it too. They're like, yeah, it really adds to it. I'm like, oh, okay. That's good. I didn't didn't realize, but yeah. um, maybe like one day if we ever do move to a studio and start doing this, we should just uh, still keep the crow sounds, download some yeah. some stock crow audio. Uh, yeah, and, uh, put a car going back round in the background. That'd be cool. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> it seems as if we have reached the logical conclusion of this discussion. Um, ironically, or not ironically, but suitably, uh, we've been recording for about an hour 40, which is often when just by chance we look at the screen and go like, well, time to wrap it up. It's enough time to say everything you want on the subject. Um, to wrap it up, I would say the audio book of Faust is on YouTube. Oh yeah. And it's on LibriVox. Nice. Check it out if you're interested in it. If you're not interested in it and you want to understand the whole point, check out like our Thug Notes uh link because that was really good. Um his YouTube channel is really yeah, good. Yeah, it seems like he's on to something. Surprisingly good. good. Although I gotta say his yeah. sort of like caricature thing like annoyed me a bit. I would actually prefer it if he just didn't do the act. Yeah, I suspected, yeah, I also was kind of like, it's pretty, like, I get what he's trying to do. He, so for, if you, to everyone listening, he's kind of, he likes, is playing like a thug and he describes like classic literature, you In know. modern times, yeah, with like street lingo yeah, to make yeah. it funny and appealing. It's pretty campy, but his analysis is really yeah, good. Yeah, it is. So sick. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess before we finish up, little bit of news as well we're like two weeks off from having like our website go live which we've been working on in the background quietly which we're gonna be posting written articles on as well as um the podcast links and we're gonna try and gradually grow that with more content as time goes on so keep your eyes and ears peeled for that or whichever sense you prefer to use to navigate the world with Fresh articles. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Fresh articles. Out. All right. That's us. That was episode 11. Cool, man. Thanks for tuning in. You got any quick hits? Last minute quick hits? No. Do you? All right. I don't really have any either. No, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Check out Faust. Yeah. <laughs> Check out Faust. Um, and follow us on Instagram <laughs> at Modern Guild. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Love you, All motherfuckers. Right. Peace. Love you too. Peace. Thank you.